Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. In uh, this episode, I would like to speak about synthetic data, but in particular about a very misleading statement that I've been reading online um, by a quite renowned company. Uh, well, it's a startup, in fact, that uh, is operating in the synthetic data space. And uh, the biggest claim that um, a lot of folks are, are making out there is how uh, synthetic data can help improving the accuracy of existing machine learning models, which I found, you know, not really clear uh, <laughs> and, uh, and definitely a bit misleading uh, due to many reasons, some of which I will try to uh, explain in this episode. Now, when it comes to synthetic data, there are a lot of players that in the years have been participating to this domain and they are contributing with their own solutions. To make this episode self-contained, the first thing I want to say is why would one create synthetic data? Well, the main reason to create synthetic data is usually because you do not have enough of the original data that you would like your models to be trained on. And this, of course, can be due to several reasons. For example, the fact that collecting data is extremely expensive or, or just not possible because you can no longer observe the natural phenomenon that you are observing. And um, uh, think about if you are observing, for example, people purchasing items online. Uh, okay, this is something that probably you can collect, um, or you can, um, you know, collect people purchasing different items than the items that you are directly observing, and try to deduce or infer uh, some behaviors that are eventually preserved across items. So that's relatively easy to fix. But if you think about earthquakes, for example, or uh, very rare diseases, you know, you cannot really expect that all of a sudden the, the our planet will be affected by a, an impressive amount of earthquakes because you want to collect the, some of these observations. Or you cannot expect that people start getting sick for these very rare disorders or diseases just because you need more data. So you know, that in nature, thank God, doesn't happen. So <laughs> rare diseases stay rare. Um, and that's, of course, a challenge for uh, computational biologists, medical doctors, etc., due to the fact that these data are not there. And so it's not possible to uh, determine or detect these, you know, weird or rare patterns in this uh, form of diseases and disorders. Back to machine learning, what happens when you don't have enough data? Well, you generate some uh, synthetic data. So that's one reason why you would like to have a synthetic data generator that can generate things for you and that look like the original data as much as possible, of course. Don't forget that there is one fundamental problem <laughs> with machine learning. That is, machine learning models keep working after training, provided the, the unseen observations are indeed 
uh, similar to the one they, that the, the model was trained on, right? So if you have statistical distributions called statistical drift between the training set and the unseen observations, well, don't expect that fancy model is going to work anytime. There are cases where models keep working, um, and there is some mathematics behind that due to the so-called model capacity that is usually the number of parameters uh, that the model uh, carries with, with, it, with itself. Um, and so, for example, you might think of you know, the biggest distinctions between uh, a simple linear regression with uh, a more sophisticated model that usually works better, not because it's fancy, but because it simply has more parameters to uh, to tune, and so the dimensions of the problem, uh, the dimensions of the problem that can be uh, tackled by such a model is much higher. And uh, this means that the problem is usually, you know, can contain nonlinearities, can contain complex patterns, and usually these patterns get uh, detected because the model capacity is higher. This is not all not, not the case, for example, for a, a linear regression with a bunch of parameters, uh, you know, in a linear combination of, of these parameters. Uh, and of course, all the nonlinearities will basically linearized. And so the model will stop performing uh, no matter how much data you throw uh, to, to it, right? Now, back to synthetic data. Another reason why you want to use synthetic data, and that's uh, frankly the one that I have been um, investigating for a while now, uh, is related to data confidentiality. And so not just the fact that you are um, lacking some data or you don't have enough uh, volumes to, to, to train your machine learning models on, but it's just because you have, well, you want to share or you want people to cooperate on your data uh, and you don't want to give the data uh, to them. So you create a synthetic version of this data and you, which is the only copy of the data that you're going to share because in this synthetic version of the data, probably or very likely there are no, uh, there's no personal identifiable information. There are no confidential signals that in fact you want to protect or you want to hide to uh, the recipient of this data, right? So that's the second reason. And I, frankly believe more in that reason rather than not having enough data and then boom we have a, a synthesizer uh, or I don't know a synthetic data generator that solves my problem of uh, uh, low volumes of data. Now there is this post that <laughs> is the main reason of this episode in fact is because when I was reading that that blog post um, I got you know uh, I got curious, to be honest, and uh, I got curious about, uh, uh, you know, these results, first of all, and uh, also the speculation that certain people, uh, probably the authors of this of this post, are doing or were doing at the time uh, by, you know, in order to justify their business, which is indeed synthetic data. And so, as always, I would like to shed some light on, um, on this hype and uh, these approaches and these misleading statements that all of a sudden will you know make people believe that if you have if you don't have synthetic data your models are not going to perform which is clearly not possible it's not true in fact um, and also not possible and i hope that i make a decent job to you know explain why that is not possible
So uh, I mentioned the model capacity for uh, a simple reason, because the authors of this blog post I'm referring to, in fact, used exactly that trick uh, in order to justify and uh, observe models that improve in the presence of synthetic data with respect to, um, you know, only original data. And so they claim that, uh, in fact, there is uh, this, uh, you know, um, I think they use a logistic regression um, and they say, hey, look, if I take a logistic regression and I pump the number of data of training data that I'm throwing to the logistic regression, there is no improvement. Right. And that's correct, you know, because the model capacity is quite low. The logistic regression, as many other low capacity model uh, models, will saturate very quickly. And so for a logistic regression or a linear regression, there's no real difference between having, let's say, a samples or uh, a million samples, right? There's usually not that much difference because, you know, the logistic regression saturates very, very quickly, right? It's That's not the case, of course, of uh, more complex models, for example, a neural network, uh, you know, a, a relatively deep neural network with uh, probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of parameters, or a random forest, for example, with a really a lot of trees and a lot of features in the dimensional space. So in these cases, the more data you throw to these models, the better, because the models can, in fact, explore a bigger dimensional space that would not be covered by a thousand samples, but would likely be covered by a million samples, right? So that's why we say with neural networks, the, the biggest problem of neural networks is that they need a lot of data. Why? Is because these are high capacity models. Usually the they come with hundreds of millions of parameters. And of course, they need input volumes that are proportional to the number of parameters they need to tune. What happens in this blog post? Well, they claim that um, by inflating the training set 10 times or 100 times, uh, what happens is that these models improve. So there is a, a gradient boosting approach and the logistic regression. And they say, hey, look, our models, are, our XG boost, our gradient boosting is uh, is uh, works much better on uh, on larger volumes of data, uh, where majority of these data are synthetic. So synthetic is good. Um, or there is another example, they make a comparison between a random forest and the gradient boosting and say, hey, look, if we inflate the training set with synthetic data, uh, boom, we have a better XG boost and a better random forest, but not a better logistic regression. You know, this is true. Like these models are uh, improving, you know, if you run these models as they did on the holdout set, which is this 20% that you promise never to train your models on and you just validate the and, and measure the accuracy and other metrics of these models on this holdout set, you know, you can see a slight improvement. And I say slight because sometimes it's really like point something percent, which can be done, can be due to, uh, you know, random variations. But okay, that's another, another another topic for probably another episode. But what I'm trying to say is that, of course, you will see a, a slight improvement because these models were probably underfitted. And now that you increase the, the, the training set with something that is generated synthetically, which means that it's supposedly having the same statistical distribution as the original data. Well, what happens there is that you are kind of perturbing the input space and allow this 
larger models, these higher capacity models, to tweak and tune their internal parameters better, which means that from being underfitted, they are correctly fitted now. And so that's why you can experience that one or two percentage uh, improvement in accuracy. So, I mean, that's something that comes to me quite naturally. Maybe I'm completely wrong, So, uh, but I don't think so, <laughs> because it, it sounds really, uh, really natural to me to think that uh, the, you know, this is the case for high capacity models, right? And in order to confirm and, and that my counter speculation, in fact, I have another example that fits very well this discussion. Uh, that uh, is the difference between random forest, random forests, and uh, and gradient boosting approaches. So in this blog post, well, they in fact have a, 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 a table in which they compare random forest and gradient boosting to uh, logistic regression. And again, they see you know you can see in these tables that in the presence of synthetic data. Uh, random forest and gradient boosting are improving not equally like not for the same for the same amounts usually xg boost improves less um, and random forest improves a bit more um, with respect to the original data while the logistic regression simply stays the same now this is exactly the the confirmation of my counter speculation that is of course, random forests improves more than a gradient boosting method. And this is due to the fact, you know, to the definition of random forests and gradient boosting. The difference between these two methods is that random forest combines result at the end of the process. So usually you take all the trees that you have trained independently, uh, you take an average or you take a majority voting uh, of all these trees. And that's how you define what's the class of the leaf uh, in that particular tree or in the aggregation of the trees, right? While gradient boosting combines results along the way. So as you train, the gradient boosting approach uh, is already combining. Now, of course, by construction, what happens is that gradient boosting usually can result, you know, results in better performance with respect to random forests. But of course, um, it can result into overfitting. Uh, when I look at that table and I see that, for example, a gradient boosting approach in the presence of synthetic data is improving of 0.4%, while a random forest, which by the way, they didn't give us the specs of that random forest, but okay, is improving of 0.8%. So two times, right? So in the presence of synthetic data, we can appreciate a better improvement if we are dealing with a random forest, two times that improvement with respect to a gradient boosting that doesn't improve that much anymore. Why? Because it, it it's overfitting the data, in fact, right? And also tuning this this um, uh, gradient boosting is, you know, it's, it's a dark art. So you cannot really conclude that because I have synthetic data, my gradient boosting is better. You cannot say that. Not to mention the fact that you can never say that, you know, this has nothing to do with uh, with generalization. So, in fact, you cannot even say that uh, just because you have better accuracy, that model is generalizing better than before. You cannot say that, you know, accuracy is an heuristic and is a proxy for, you know, human beings to understand if a model is better than something else that we have observed before, but still doesn't give us any 
you know, knowledge about how good that model is at generalizing over truly un unobserved, um, unobserved samples. The other uh, point that they touch in the article is about bias. And this is, you know, something that a lot of people, again, have been I've been discussing this quite extensively. The fact that you have bias in the data depends on how you have collected your data. And sometimes you're aware of that, sometimes you're not, many times you're not. The fact that, for example, a, a, an instrument, the instrument that you are using to collect data uh, is, is more precise in certain ranges, of course, will lead you to having some, you know, a, a strong biased component in your data that depends on the data collection strategy. Uh, not to mention the other more subtle ways to introduce bias in the fact that you are considering, for example, only a particular segment of a population. And so, you know, nothing is related to a, a, an instrument or, or a tool, but like it's related to a concept, to the fact that you are simply you know, introducing bias by construction. Uh, plus there is the bias uh, introduced by the model itself right? Due to the fact that certain parameters are, for example, uh, tuned in a biased way, right? So this is, you know, these are all forms of bias that you can find in the data. Now, claiming that you have synthetic data to remove bias is the equivalent of saying, I am um, in front of uh, an unbalanced, unbalanced observation set. Um, and what I'm doing here is inflating and deflating the classes that are, uh, you know, in majority or minority uh, with respect to overall the overall data, right? So what I'm doing is like if I have uh, a class that is represented only by uh, 40% and the other class is represented by 60%, if I want to balance this, I will just, you know, raise the volume of the synthesizer uh, towards generating the minority class for that missing 10% and so spread that across, uh, you know, I will generate 5% more with one, 5% less with the other, and boom, I would have a perfectly balanced data set. This is what we data scientists have been doing for like years. And the statisticians have been doing this for decades. Um, you know, changing the way uh, data is balanced by inflating, deflating, uh, it's exactly what is behind uh, synthetic data as well. Uh, so I don't see how a synthet synthetic data generator could generate data that they, the, the synthesizer have never seen before. This is not possible, right? And also by, and so the only thing that it can do is focusing on the uh, seen observations, okay, even the, the, the rare ones, and just pump them up, right, in volumes. Um, now, does it mean removing the bias? No, it means removing, it means making the data more balanced, which has nothing to do with the bias. Balanced data, biased data is not the same thing, folks. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Balanced data is data that are equally represented over the entire classes that are available to your training set. Biased data can still be balanced, but still biased. Got it? Of course, there are technical explanations that I don't want to go deep into because it, I want to keep this podcast 
easy to digest <laughs> and uh, and uh, but of course feel free to reach out to me or i'm usually on uh, the discord channel that um, uh, you can find on the show notes of this episode and also on the website datasciencetome.com to conclude i uh, really want to alert that you know this is hype and uh, we have to defeat hype <laughs> because hype is not good is all it always leads to misunderstanding and to and to misleading conclusions um, about machine learning and artificial intelligence and algorithms in general. Um, from a logical perspective, it is not possible to have a machine learning model, which is a generator, synthetic data generator, in fact, is a machine learning model that generates data for you. Uh, and these data are even more useful than the, the, the original data. That doesn't make sense. Absolutely not. Because if that made sense, it means by absurd, it would mean that the, the generator that you are using to generate the synthetic data can generate data so well that it knows, it understands the natural phenomenon that you're trying to model in the first place. So my question to you is, if you have a synthetic data generator that can generate perfect synthetic data, why do you need a model to predict in the first place, right? You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like if you have a model that generates data so good that it knows how the natural phenomenon is modeled, then why do you need a predictor to explain the natural phenomenon? It does make sense. I don't know if I'm the only one here who's skeptical about this or if there is anybody else out there as always, reach out to me. It would be very nice to uh, engage a conversation, peaceful conversation. <laughs> um, as they say, sounds too good to be true, right? Yes, because it's not. It's not true. Well, that's it for today, folks. I'm, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, don't forget to uh, leave your rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. We are also on Spotify, by the way. And of course, it will be very nice to have you around. Uh, don't forget the Twitch channel that I'm currently using for uh, live coding sessions. I'm having so much fun doing that. Um, I have to be a bit more regular, I know. Usually I dedicate like two days in a week uh, for live coding sessions. The uh, channel is on Twitch TV slash coding gossip with one G but of course I will uh, report the, the, the link to the show notes of this episode as always. Don't forget to register to Live at Manning conferences, Women in Tech, next October 13th at from 12 to 5 p.m. EST. The event was, is going to be streamed on Twitch. There will be a live session there. It's one of these places where you can learn, be inspired and connect with others working to advance inclusion in the technology industry. Women in Tech is your chance to hear from some of the amazing women in Manning's network of experts. There will be women across different roles discussing data science, cloud development, toxic work environments and much, much more. Go register live at Manning conferences, women in tech. You will find the link in the show notes of this episode at datascienceatome.com. That's it for today. Talk to you next time. 
You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.